0: BOOK 4 CHAPTER 6 OF THE BLACK ARROW This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE BLACK ARROW BY ROBERT LOUIS STEVENSON BOOK 4 CHAPTER 6 OUR BLASTER AGAIN When Dick and Lawless were suffered to steal by a back way out of the house where Lord Raisingham held his garrison, the evening had already come. They paused in shelter of the garden wall to consult on their best course. The danger was extreme. If one of Sir Daniel's men caught sight of them and raised the view hello, they would be run down and butchered instantly. And not only was the town of Shoreby a mere net of peril for their lives, but to make for the open country was to run the risk of patrols. A little way off, upon some open ground, they spied a windmill standing and hard by that a very large granary with open doors. How if we lay there until the nightfall, Dick proposed. And Lawless, having no better suggestion to offer, they made a straight push for the granary at a run, and concealed themselves behind the door among some straw. The daylight rapidly departed, and presently the moon was silvering in the frozen snow. Now or never was their opportunity to gain the goat and bagpipes unobserved and changed their tell-tale garments yet even then it was advisable to go round by the outskirts and not run the gauntlet of the market-place where in the concourse of people they stood the more imminent peril to be recognised and slain this course was a long one it took them not far from the house by the beach now lying dark and silent and brought them forth at last by the margin of the harbour many of the ships as they could see by the clear moonshine had weighed anchor, and, profiting by the calm sky, proceeded far more distant parts. Answerable to this, the rude alehouses along the beach, although in defiance of the curfew law they still shone with fire and candle, were no longer thronged with customers, and no longer echoed to the chorus of sea-songs. Hastily, half running with their monkish raiment, kilted to the knee, they plunged through the deep snow and threaded the labyrinth, of marine lumber, and they were already more than halfway round the harbour when, as they were passing close before an alehouse, the door suddenly opened and let out a gush of light upon their fleeting figures. Instantly they stopped, and made believe to be engaged in earnest conversation. Three men, one after another, came out of the alehouse, and the last closed the door behind him. All three were unsteady upon their feet, as if they had passed the day in deep potations and now they stood wavering in the moonlight like men who knew not what they would be after the tallest of the three was talking in a loud lamentable voice seven pieces as of good gascony as ever a tapster broached he was saying the best ship out of the port of dartmouth a virgin mary parcel gilt thirteen pounds of good gold money i have had losses too interrupted one of the others I have had losses of mine own, gossip or blaster. I was robbed at martimus of five shillings and a leather wallet, well worth ninepence farthing. Dick's heart smote him at what he heard. Until that moment, he had not perhaps thought twice of the poor skipper who had been ruined by the loss of the good hope. So careless in those days were men who wore arms of the goods and interest of their inferiors. But this sudden encounter reminded him sharply of the high-handed manner and ill-ending of his enterprise, and both he and Lawless turned their heads the other way, to avoid the chance of recognition. The ship's dog had, however, made his escape from the wreck and found his way back again to Shoreby. He was now at our blaster's heels, and suddenly, sniffing and pricking his ears, he darted forward and began to bark furiously at the two sham friars. His master unsteadily followed him. "'Hey, shipmates!' he cried. "'Have ye ever had a penny for a poor old shipman, clean destroyed by pirates? "'I am a man that would have paid for both of you a Thursday morning, "'and now here I be a Saturday night, begging for a flagon of ale. "'Ask my man Tom, if ye doubt me. Seven pieces of good Gascon wine, a ship that was mine own, "'and was my father's before me, a blessed Mary of Plaintree Wood.' "'and parcel gilt and thirteen pounds in gold and silver. "'Hey, what say ye?' "'A man that fought the French, too, "'for I have fought the French. "'I have cut more French throats upon the high seas "'than ever a man that sails out of Dartmouth. "'Come, a penny-piece!' "'Neither Dick nor Lawless "'durst answer him a word, "'lest he should recognise their voices. "'And they stood, as helpless as a ship ashore, "'not knowing where to turn, nor what to hope. "'Are ye dumb, boy?' inquired the skipper. Mates, he added with a hiccup, they be dumb. I like not this manner of discourtesy, for an a man be dumb, so be as he's courteous. He will speak when he was spoken to, methinks. By this time, the sailor Tom, who was a man of great personal strength, seemed to have conceived some suspicion of these two speechless figures, and being soberer than his captain, stepped suddenly before him took Lawless roughly by the shoulder and asked him, with an oath, what ailed him that he held his tongue. To this the outlaw, thinking all was over, made answer by a wrestling feint that stretched the sailor on the sand, and, calling upon Dick to follow him, took to his heels among the lumber. The affair passed in a second. Before Dick could run at all, our blaster had him in his arms. Tom, crawling on his face, had caught him by one foot, And the third man had a drawn cutlass brandishing above his head. It was not so much the danger, it was not so much the annoyance that now bowed down the spirits of young Shelton, it was the profound humiliation to have escaped Sir Daniel, convinced Lord Risingham, and now fall helpless in the hands of this old drunken sailor, and not merely helpless, but as his conscience loudly told him when it was too late, actually guilty. "'actually, the bankrupt debtor of the man whose ship he had stolen and lost. "'Bring me him back to the alehouse, till I see his face,' said our blaster. "'Nay, nay,' returned Tom, "'but let us first unload his wallet, lest the other lads cry share.' "'But though he was searched from head to foot, not a penny was found upon him, "'nothing but Lord Foxham's signet, which they plucked savagely from his finger. "'Turn me him to the moon,' said the skipper, and taking dick by the chin he cruelly jerked his head into the air blessed virgin he cried it is the pirate hey cried tom by the virgin of bordeaux it is the man himself repeated our blaster what sea thief do i hold you he cried where is my ship where is my wine hey have i you in my hands tom give me one end of a cord here i will so trust me this sea thief hand and foot together like a basting turkey. Mary, I will so bind him up, and thereafter I will so beat, so beat him. And so he ran on, winding the cord, meanwhile about Dick's limbs, with a dexterity peculiar to seamen, and at every turn and cross, securing it with a knot and tightening the whole fabric with a savage pull. When he had done, the lad was a mere package in his hands, as helpless as the dead. The skipper held him at arm's length, and laughed aloud. Then he fetched him a stunning buffet on the ear, and then turning him about, and furiously kicked and kicked him. Anger rose up in Dick's bosom like a storm. Anger strangled him, and he thought to have died. But when the sailor, tired of this cruel play, dropped him all his length upon the sand, and turned to consult with his companions, he instantly regained command of his temper. Here was a momentary respite, ere they began again to torture him he might have found some method to escape from this degrading and fatal misadventure presently sure enough and while his captors were still discussing what to do with him he took heart of grace and with a pretty steady voice addressed them my masters he began are ye gone clean foolish here hath heaven put into your hands as pretty an occasion to grow rich as ever shipmen had such as ye might make thirty overseas adventures and not find again and by the mass what do ye beat me nay so would an angry child but for long-headed cherry johns that fear not fire nor water and that love gold as they love beef methinks ye are not wise ay said tom now ye trust ye would cozen us cozen you repeated dick nay if ye be fools it would be easy But if ye be shrewd fellows, as I trow ye are, ye can see plainly where your interest lies. When I took your ship from you, we were many, we were well clad and armed, but now, bethink you a little, who mustered that array? One incontestably, that hath made much gold, and if he, being already rich, continueth to hunt after even more in the face of storms, bethink you once more, shall there not be a treasure somewhere hidden? What meaneth he? asked one of the men. Why, if ye have lost an old skiff and a few jugs of vinegary wine, continued Dick, forget them, for the trash they are, and do ye rather buckle to an adventure worth the name that shall in twelve hours make or mar you forever. But take me up from where I lie and let us go somewhere near at hand and talk across a flagon, for I am sore and frozen and my mouth is half among the snow. He seeks to cozen us, said Tom contemptuously. Cozen, cozen, cried the third man. I would I could see the man that could cozen me. He were a cozener indeed. Nay, I was not born yesterday. I can see a church when it hath a steeple on it. And for my part, gossip our blaster, methinks there is some sense in this young man. Shall we go hear him indeed? Say, shall we go hear him? I would look gladly on a pottle of strong ale, good master Perrette. "'returned our blaster. "'How say ye, Tom? "'But then the wallet is empty. "'I will pay,' said the other. "'I will pay. "'I would fain see this matter out. "'I do believe upon my conscience "'there is gold in it.' "'Nay, if ye get again to drinking, "'all is lost,' cried Tom. "'Gossip our blaster. "'Ye suffer your fellow "'to have too much liberty,' "'returned Master Pere. "'Would ye be led by a hired man? "'Fie, fie! "'Peace, fellow!' said our blaster, addressing Tom. Will ye put your oar in? Truly a fine pass, when the crew is to correct the skipper. Well then, go your way, said Tom. I wash my hands of you. Set him then upon his feet, said Master Pere. I know a privy place where we may drink and discourse. If I am to walk, my friends, ye must set my feet at liberty, said Dick, when he had been once more planted upright like a post. He saith true, laughed Paré. Truly, he could not walk, accoutred as he is. Give it a slit. Out with your knife and slit it gossip. Even our blaster paused at this proposal, but as his companion continued to insist, and Dick had the sense to keep the merest wooden indifference of expression, and only shrugged his shoulders over the delay, the skipper consented at last, and cut the cords which tied his prisoner's feet and legs. Not only did this enable Dick to walk, but the whole network of his bonds being proportionately loosened, he felt the arm behind his back begin to move more freely, and could hope, with time and trouble, to entirely disengage it. So much he owed already to the owlish silliness and greed of Master perret That worthy now assumed the lead, and conducted them to the very same rude alehouse where Lawless had taken our blaster on the day of the gale it was now quite deserted the fire was a pile of red embers radiating the most ardent heat and when they had chosen their places and the landlord had set before them a measure of mulled ale both Pere and our blaster stretched forth their legs and squared their elbows like men bent upon a pleasant hour the table at which they sat like all the others in the alehouse consisted of a heavy square board set on a pair of barrels and each of the four curiously assorted cronies sat at one side of the square Perret facing our blaster and dick opposite to the common sailor and now young man said perret to your tale it doth appear indeed that ye have somewhat abused our gossip our blaster but what then make it up to him show him but this chance to become wealthy and i will go pledge he will forgive you so far dick had spoken pretty much at random but it was now necessary under the supervision of six eyes to invent and tell some marvellous story and if it were possible get back into his hands the all-important signet to squander time was the first necessity the longer his stay lasted the more would his captors drink and the surer would he be when he attempted his escape well dick was not much of an inventor and what he told was pretty much the tale of Ali Baba, with Shoreby and Tunstall Forest substituted for the east, and the treasures of the cavern rather exaggerated than diminished. As the reader is aware, it is an excellent story, and has but one drawback, that it is not true. And so, as these three simple shipmen now heard it for the first time, their eyes stood out of their faces, and their mouths gaped like codfish at a fishmonger's pretty soon a second measure of mulled ale was called for and while dick was artfully spinning out the incidents a third followed the second here was the position of the parties towards the end our blaster three parts drunk and one half asleep hung helpless on his stool even tom had been much delighted with the tale and his vigilance had abated in proportion meanwhile dick had gradually wormed his right arm clear of its bonds and was ready to risk all. And so, said Perrette, ye are one of these? I was made so, replied Dick, against my will. But, and I could but get a sack or two of gold coin to my share, I should be a fool indeed to continue dwelling in a filthy cave, and standing shot and buffet like a soldier. Here be we four. Good. Let us then go forth into the forest tomorrow, ere the sun be up. Could we come honestly by a donkey? It were better. But, and we cannot, we have our four strong backs, and I warrant me, we shall come home staggering. Perrette licked his lips. And this magic, he said, this password whereby the cave is open, how call ye it, friend? Nay, none know the word but the three chiefs, returned Dick. But here is your great good fortune, that on this very evening I should be the bearer of a spell to open it. It is a thing not trusted twice a year beyond the captain's wallet. A spell, said our blaster, half-awakening and squinting upon Dick with one eye. i roint thee. No spells. I be a good Christian, Ask my man Tom Elts. Nay, but this is white magic, said Dick. It doth not with the devil, only the power of numbers, herbs and planets. Aye, aye, said Paré. Tis but white magic gossip. There is no sin therein, I do assure you, but proceed, good youth, this spell, in what should it consist? Nay, that I will incontinently show you, answered Dick, have ye there the ring ye took from my finger? Good, now hold it forth before you, by the extreme finger-ends, at the arm's length, and over against the shining of these embers. Tis so exactly. Thus then is the spell. With a haggard glance, Dick saw the coast was clear between him and the door he put up an internal prayer then whipping forth his arm he made but one snatch of the ring and at the same instant levering upon the table he sent it bodily over upon the seaman tom he poor soul went down bawling under the ruins and before our blaster understood that anything was wrong or Pere could collect his dazzled wits dick had run to the door and escaped into the moonlit night the moon which now rode in the mid-heavens and the extreme whiteness of the snow made the open ground about the harbour bright as day, and young Shelton, leaping with kilted robe among the lumber, was a conspicuous figure from afar. Tom and Pere followed him with shouts. From every drinking shop they were joined by others whom their cries aroused, and presently a whole fleet of sailors was in full pursuit. But Jack Ashore was a bad runner. Even in the fifteenth century, and Dick, besides, had a start, which he rapidly improved, until as he drew near the entrance of a narrow lane, he even paused and looked laughingly behind him. Upon the white floor of snow, all the shipmen of Shoreby came clustering in an inky mass and tailing out rearward in isolated clumps. Every man was shouting or screaming. Every man was gesticulating with both arms in the air. Someone was continually falling, and to complete the picture when one fell a dozen would fall upon the top of him the confused mass of sounds which they rolled up as high as to the moon was partly comical and partly terrifying to the fugitive whom they were hunting in itself it was impotent for he made sure no seaman in the port could run him down but the mere volume of noise in so far as it must awake all the sleepers in shoreby and bring all the skulking sentries to the street did really threaten him with danger in the front. So, spying a dark doorway at a corner, he whipped briskly into it, and let the uncouth hunt go by him, still shouting and gesticulating, and all red with hurry and white with tumbles in the snow. It was a long while indeed before this great invasion of the town by the harbour came to an end, and it was long before silence was restored. For long, lost sailors were still to be heard pounding and shouting through the streets in all directions and in every quarter of the town. Quarrels followed, sometimes among themselves, sometimes with the men of the patrols. Knives were drawn, blows given and received, and more than one dead body remained behind upon the snow. When a full hour later, the last seaman returned, grumblingly, to the harbour-side and his particular tavern. It may fairly be questioned if he had ever known what manner of man he was pursuing, but it was absolutely sure that he had now forgotten. By next morning there were many strange stories flying, and a little while after the legend of the devil's nocturnal visit was an article of faith with all the lads of Shoreby. But the return of the last seaman did not, even yet, set free young Shelton from his cold imprisonment in the doorway. For some time after, there was a great activity of patrols, and special parties came forth to make the round of the place and report to one or other of the great lords whose slumbers had been thus unusually broken. The night was already well spent before Dick ventured from his hiding place and came, safe and sound, but aching with cold and bruises, to the door of the goat and bagpipes. As the law required, there was neither fire nor candle in the house, but he groped his way into a corner of the icy guest-room, found an end of the blanket, which he hitched around his shoulders, and creeping close to the nearest sleeper, was soon lost in slumber. End of Book 4 Chapter 6